Hello. Welcome to the fourth episode of the American Years Revisited podcast. I'm Kate Simpson, coordinator of the American Years Project. Our project is exploring the many stories and memories of all the people whose lives are intrinsically linked to the American Navy's presence in the Holy Lock by Danoon on the west coast of Scotland. This episode features a chat with three local women, Linda Pursley, Andrew Methersmith, who both grew up in Danoon, and Margaret Hubbard, who grew up just along the road in Nenellan. Together, they recall the early years of the American presence in the Holy Lock. Linda and her husband, Jerry Pursley, talk about how they met for the first time, and Jerry and Charlie Witherow talk about their accents and how they've managed to keep a hold of them for so many years. This episode is the second half of a conversation, the first half of which, between Charlie and Jerry, can be heard in episode three. I'm Andreen, and I was born in Dunoon and grew up in Dunoon. And I married the son of a serviceman from the Hanley. And we're still married 40 years on. <laughs> My name's Margaret, and I grew up here. I'm actually sitting in, in the very house that I grew up in, because I was away for many years and came back again. I grew up through the American years, but spent a considerable amount of time working elsewhere. And came back, it drew me back. In 2004, I came back. and. I got involved in doing this because I think it's such an important part of our heritage. So I'm very happy to be involved with this project. My name is Linda Pursley. I uh, met an American sailor uh, in 1962. Is that correct? It's been such a long time. We've been married 56 years anyway. 62. Uh, 62. Yeah, June the 16th. June the 16th. Yeah, there, he's got it right off pat, you see. <laughs> I was 11 years old and the noon was fairly typical small town. Sundays were so quiet, that's a strong memory. Everything was closed on a Sunday, church bells were ringing, very um, traditional that way. It was a really nice place to, to have that childhood, but as you got to be a teenager, it would become quite dull um, I would imagine so American base coming changed that experience for me I remember the first day there was a flood of sailors in the town there'd been a tremendous build-up on the media on television and radio and people being interviewed about what the thoughts were none of us knew what to expect I think my parents were quite fearful of it having uh, children and um, what the influences would be. But I do remember we all had to go out that day and see sailors walking down Argyle Street with the women on one arm and the other out there to make friends. And as Jerry said, it was a kind of mutual welcoming uh, feeling. To me at that age, it was just, um, it might have well have been Martians arriving. <laughs> That's it was a wondrous thing. I'm sure Charlie was talking about it brought back memories of how the shops used to run. And my uncle had a butcher in Argyle Street, Nori Ferguson, and all the animals were hanging up. I remember that. I couldn't bear that sight now, but as a child I just accepted it. The fish place he was talking about in Ferry Bray, my mother used to shop there. So that brought back tremendous memories of Danoon in my childhood. It changed enormously, but I never felt under any sort of threat by their presence, whether my parents worried about it. 
Um, they never said, but I'm sure it was an issue. All these young men coming to live in our town. But most of us who met the first ones quite early on found them absolutely charming and so well-mannered. And I'm sure there was other things going on that were always around a military base, but I don't remember particularly being exposed to anything like that, except in the newspapers, the way they reported things. So it went from being a very normal, small Scottish town in the 50s to a kind of little America in many ways. Looking back, it was, from my point of view, it sort of opened up the world to me into just American music. I suppose the world was opening up at that time anyway. We were all starting to travel abroad, but it it, um, it brought a sort of a larger picture to Danun. I just fell in love with Tam Lamo Town and soul singing. And I used to babysit for my neighbours and they had a fantastic record collection. And then Radio Caroline was opening up. So, you know, I just it just all came together and it was tremendously exciting. Coming home from school, putting on Radio Caroline and hearing this music and it all seemed to link up with the Americans you were meeting at school and in the town. And, and then folk music became quite strong through Bob Dylan and so on, but it also brought out Scottish folk music and CND folk music. And a lot of American friends, used to. we all used to go along to these things. So they joined in. It was a, a sort of mass cultural thing. Yeah, that's the way I remember it. Very nice way to be a teenager with that great music. Well, when the Americans first came, it was quite a shock because nobody knew anything about it. And uh, somebody said, oh, there's a big grey ship sitting in the Holy Loft. And I said, oh, we think the Americans have come. And I thought, nah. So I got on my bike and I cycled out to Sandbank. And this big grey ship was sitting in the middle of the Holy Loft. And I thought, wow, you know. So anyway, I came home and told my mum and dad. My father said, that's it. You don't go anywhere unless I know about it. We're not having you. I was in the military. I was in the army. I was in Egypt. I was in... No, 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 we're not having any of that. So <laughs> as you can see, that worked very well. <laughs> but that was because my father actually died in a fire when our hotel burned down. So which is a terrible thing to say. But no, that was my that was my first look at it. It was so strange. It was so unreal. You'd just never seen anything like it before. But uh, the first ones we met, the, uh, the first thing I thought of, they were so polite. They were so nice. They took their hats off if you were passing in the street. They asked you if they could carry your shopping because in those days we didn't have cars. Well, we didn't. And uh, so, you know, they were always just, weren't they? They were always just mm-hmm. so polite and nice. And uh, and then they started doing the dances in the old hall down in uh, where all the, the shrubs oh, are. Oh, yeah. yeah, the pavilion across from the, uh, which is now the Queen's Hall. And so... Uh, Popped up courage one night and went to uh, one of the dances with my friend, and uh, we were we were standing there, and this American guy came up and asked her to dance, and I said, "Yeah, of course, go ahead." So uh, I was just kind of standing there after that on my own, and I looked across the room and I thought, "Ooh, he's quite cute." So <laughs> I popped up my courage, and, and my friend said, "Of course, what are you going to do about it?" I said, "I'm going to go over and ask that sailor for a dance." So she says. Okay, off you go. So I went. The rest is history. 
he's right here <laughs> so uh there you go but uh but no they were we always find them extremely polite uh the the a lot of the locals didn't like when they brought over started bringing over these enormous cars which you know took up most of the street that could be a, a little bit of a problem but the biggest problem that when they brought the families over there was nowhere for them to stay they didn't have any accommodation they would be trying to put a family of, of three in a in a in a a two bed and not a one bedroom you know um what they call room and kitchens um there just wasn't any proper accommodation for the families it was very hard for them until they got things organized and got housing and everything which took quite a long time but i don't remember any animosity i don't remember any uh, no, that one night when we had no. a problem but that was only one night but no i i don't I, everybody just seemed to get along we blended in very well didn't we so and and of course i think you can that's proof in the pudding because so many americans stationed here wanted to come back charlie's one of them can, can i butt in yeah of course looking back on like our first summer i arrived here the near the end of march in fact i actually arrived in denoon that night linda's father died in their hotel fire it was either a day or two days after that i was uh doing a working party thing on the weekend with my uh division chief they had had a party in in the cpo club that used to be out at the out on the anellan road in the uh, territorial army buildings there and anyway and what they were doing was leftover food from the party they were distributing it to the children's homes and i went out on that working party with them and we loaded up a couple of cars and with with trays and food and everything we took them up to duncluta and we also took them to another another place or two but we all went all the way out to tower castle because that was also at that time a children's place as well and uh everything i remember driving past linda's hotel at that time and it was still still smoldering after the fire but i didn't know it was where she lived because i hadn't met her yet as we got into spring and summer when the town got busier you had all the boat rental places along the front you had you had the, the crazy golf which we still got today mm -hmm. of Sorry course uh, and putting greens on different spots throughout the town um the public toilets uh, you know then down on the front oh, and, i mean there was because there was so many people in town on different days because of the bus tours uh leaving denoon going up country uh, some were going uh up, up around to tenabruic and other ones were going through strucker and then back through tenabruic oh, they were there were buses uh white line the gold line gold the blue line, line. The blue line the silver line that was famous. silver line they were there were all these different trips and tours where i came from the problem where charlie came this was like blackpool <laughs> you know uh in in the 60s for us because i mean uh, there was, seemed to be so much to do and everything and i came from a town of about 5500 people it was was a great great experience a great opportunity to travel abroad meet people who speak more or less the same language that you do and uh, some of us can 
and understand potatoes and tomatoes and tomatoes and <laughs> all these sort of things. But uh, no, it, it really was. It was, and I, I never really had any conflicts in Denote. I really not had any sense. People were friendly and like I'm saying, I always really wanted to know where you were from. And, and other than coming over here with the Navy, what did you do back where you lived before? And uh, this helped to bring me back many years later, along with Linda. But uh, I've never looked back, never looked back. I go back periodically, but never looked back thinking that I could have done any better as far as finding a place to live is concerned. You, you mentioned that people say where you're from and stuff. And you probably still get that. People say, you, as soon as you open yeah. your mouth, they say, oh, where are you from? Because a lot of people think you're Canadian, or they do me. Mm-hmm. And I tell them from Pennsylvania, and they say, oh, you never lost your accent. How long have you been here? You're on holiday. And I says, I've been here 46 years. Mm-hmm. You haven't lost your accent. And I never liked that Americans come over here or Scottish go to America, and they come back after two weeks talking like from the deep south or <laughs> people trying to talk real Scottish, you know. If I tried, I sound like I came from Beirut or somewhere like that. I rubbish <laughs> these these type of things, but no, it's uh, no Jerry's accent hasn't changed, and, and since the night I met him, it hasn't changed. And I, I tell him, but I don't have an accent. I sound just like my mother. <laughs> <laughs> if I leave a message on an answer phone and I listen back, sound just like my brother. Mm-hmm. I think it was my brother talking until I realized it was me talking, you know? Denellen certainly seemed to be a distance from Dunoon. I, I listened to what Andrean was saying about seeing Americans in the streets and so on, and I have no memory of that because in Ellen is five miles from Dunoon and it's eight miles from where the base was. And they didn't come this far initially. Um, later on, they did come this far, and in fact, quite a lot of them had family. The ones who had families came here, and therefore they were in the schools. So there was a whole school rebuild going on to accommodate the large numbers of Americans. But right at the beginning, I the day they came, the weather was bad. I remember watching the submarine coming up the river, and after that, it was a non-event to me because. Living in Ellen and going to primary school in Ellen, I only ventured to Dunoon once a week. We went in the bus on a Saturday morning for our shopping and we came home again. So the first time that, that we came after the Americans had arrived, I went expecting to see a town full of Americans and there were none. Now, clearly, whatever was going on in the American Navy on that Saturday morning Sailors walking around the noon was not part of it at 10 o'clock in the morning when the Ellen bus came in. So I have no memory of them right at the start. And because they didn't come here, everything we were hearing about was happening. But it was happening eight miles up the road. And that tells you something about what a small community this was, mm-hmm. that we only migrated to the noon once a week. And it also tells you something about the shore leave of Americans that they weren't wandering the streets of Dunoon when the Anellan bus came in on a Saturday morning. So my first meeting with Americans was not actually with American sailors at all. It was when the children appeared in the school. And that was my first connection with them. And I remember 
thinking how they seem to be normal people to me, but it struck me how frightening it must be for them to come from so far away to a strange place where there was maybe just one put into my class or two put into my class, and these two didn't know each other. And here they were in with all these local kids who all living in these small communities knew each other well. I mean, they, they integrated well, and people often ask about how awful it was. It wasn't awful at all. That's the truth of the matter. My first dealings with Americans was with American children who were my own age, and, and they were just like any other children. That's in the early part. It changed as time went on, and I was a bit older and so on, and, and so I was out in the evenings, and I would see Americans then. But certainly my initial memories was because Andrea knew were in Dunoon, you would see them in the afternoon and, and so on, whereas they didn't come here until the commander of the base moved here. That was an interesting one. At one point, the commander of the base, I can't remember which commander it was, but at one point, the commander of the base rented a house here and he had two military policemen outside his house. So here we were living in this quiet little community in the middle of nowhere. And here were these two armed guards standing outside a house. And that was simply because it was there. I don't know if they were guarding against me and my dog out for a walk or what, but or it was just statutory, you know, obviously it was just statutory regulations. But I have to say that my first stretch with the Americans was that the kids were fine and the adults weren't there. You have been listening to Linda Pursley, Andrew Messersmith, Margaret Hubbard, Jerry Pursley and Charlie Witherow. And I have been Kate Simpson. This has been the American Years Revisited podcast. Join us next time when we talk to Don Gable about some of his experiences working as a diver at the Holy Lock base. Thank you for listening. See you next time. <laughs>